Hey team, welcome back to the show. Today, I'm joined once again by Brandon DeCruz. Brandon, thank you for being back, dude. Absolutely, my man. Always a pleasure to join you, and I'm glad that we can uh, you know, finish out the year together. As we uh, we started it, we've done many podcasts this year. been a very productive year for both of us, um, as well as the last couple of years that we've been doing this. But I'm glad that you know, one day before the end of 2022, and we're going to be able to recap some stuff and then also do a, a listener Q&A. Likewise, dude. I'm excited for this as well. It's funny. I was talking to... I don't know how this came up, but I was talking to the team about it. Um, I remember when you had first hit me up in my DMs uh, in like 2020 or 2021, um, I think it was from like a podcast with Brian and Aaron that I did. And uh, you were talking about like coming on the podcast and I was really actually like very skeptical. I was like, I don't know, like this dude has like this fitness model thing going on and I hadn't like followed you or anything yet. And I had like made a promise to myself that like if anybody like was like, oh man, I think I'd be great for the podcast. Like that's not really my thing. And I was like, almost said that and you came on. Then I was like, damn, I'm so glad that that happened. Like there's nobody that I've podcasted with more than you outside of Andrea. You've mentored myself. You've mentored our team. I've worked with you personally for a very long time now. It's just funny how those things work out. But yeah, I'm excited to kind of wrap up the year. So let's get into it, dude. What has been going on with you the last couple of weeks since we talked? Listen, let me just hit on that because that is uh, an ironic story to say the least that I've never heard. So it's, it's shocking to me. But you know what's interesting about that is that I've come across many people in this industry. Now, obviously, I had a professional career within sports nutrition for 14 years. I've been coaching going on 10 years. Actually, next week will be my 10th anniversary. So I'm hey. looking forward to that. Yeah. So it's been, it's been a long time in the game. But here's the thing. There's been many times that you might judge a book by its cover or their Instagram or whatever it may be. Or there's been certain individuals where... Sometimes they're very loud on social media or, and that's not my case in particular, but they've rubbed me off the wrong way. But then I've met them at an event. I've met them at a conference and I realized they're such a great individual. So I always remind myself, don't ever judge a book by its cover. You never know who's going to be within your network or who has so many qualities and characteristics. Like think how many things we have in common that have allowed us to uh, gravitate towards one another and and help one another uh, grow and and prosper because of these like-minded qualities that we would have never known unless we got on a podcast or we got on, you know, we've done more Zoom consultations over the last couple of years than, you know, most people will ever do with someone else. So it's it's always being open-minded to those in your space and just always being willing to learn from others. I always try to take even myself, like a white belt mentality where I'm always a learner. I'm always a beginner. And no matter how much I know, I always realize that there are other people, there could be the quietest person in the space that you might not know has immense information and they're just quiet or they're just reserved or they're just introverted. And you could really you know, develop a, a friendship that's mutually beneficial, but also it's someone that becomes part of your inner circle. Absolutely, man. And that's nothing against like the you being a fitness model or anything like that. I'm really... <laughs> I really can't fully, it was more so just, um, I don't, I don't really know, honestly, I can't fully explain it. I, I, that is an area I've grown a lot. I know I had the same thing in the past where there were the podcast has actually helped me with this a lot and I'm not proud of it, but I know there was a lot of people where I was very judgmental of like, man, this guy like seems kind of like a dick, not you, but like this guy seems like kind of a dick or this guy seems like super uptight. I remember one individual specifically, um, I had him on the podcast like three years ago now, and when he came on, he was just like the nicest dude. He spent like an hour after the podcast just asking me like, man, how are you doing? What's going on with business? Like, is there anything I can help with? And like that for me was like, damn, I can't believe I like thought that. And I had never actually, it was just my perception of him on like social media and like how he'd gone back and forth in DMs. He like seemed kind of short, but it was nothing to like actually base my perception of him on. So it's definitely a learning experience. 
Absolutely. All right. So uh, just a little recap, because it's been a little bit since we've been on the mic together. Obviously, you and I communicate, but just to catch up the listeners, everything honestly has been great on my end. Um, Like on the personal front, we just passed the Christmas holiday and I had an incredible holiday with my family, my friends and my loved ones. Then in terms of like nutrition and training, I'm coming up on the six week mark in terms of my current building phase. And honestly, training had been going great for like the first four weeks. Uh, but about two weeks back, I ended up re-aggravating my lumbar spine, which is um, actually something I strained. I don't know if you remember like early on in the days that we first started podcasting, I'd gotten hit by that car. Um, I was hit by a, a distracted driver at a, on a holiday and um, it had given me a, a lumbar spine strain, which I eventually had surgically repaired. But, um, you know, despite that, you know, it's been a little bit aggravated, but I've continued to progress or try to progress my training, but I've really had to pay more attention to mobility work, recovery modalities, and taking each training session, one session at a time, because I'm someone that once I put a plan on paper, I'm locked in. And that's just how my personality is. But I also have to, sometimes the advice that I would give to you, or I'd give to another client or a mentee, I need to remind myself about it. And often I'm going to be honest with you to call myself out of my own shit. I'll look at some of the responses that I give to clients that are in a similar position. So I have a couple of clients that are currently post-surgery and then I have a couple of clients dealing with injuries. So I'm looking back into their check-ins and looking over exactly what I said to them in an objective manner and just treating myself as a client and, and giving it to myself. So really what I've tried to do is just be more mindful and aware as how my body is feeling on a daily basis. And I need to be, you know, and, and realizing that I need to be willing to auto-regulate my training based on how my back is feeling. Cause this is something that I've had surgically repaired. You know, it has given me a lot of um, issues in the past. So basically what I'm doing is I'm using what I refer to. And, and this is something I actually had gotten from Eric Helms years ago is a flexible training template which means essentially I have six, six sessions spread out throughout the week. And generally I would hit them in a regular rotation. So say that I'm doing like push, pull legs. That's a, a generic six day per week program. You know, it would go, you know, Monday's going to be push Tuesday's going to be pull Wednesday's going to be legs. That's not my current setup. You know, I like to use a little bit of a higher frequency program, which can get confusing when I outline it. So I won't go in depth on it, but Regardless, what I'm doing is I'm going to, I'm basically swapping in what session I hit as well as like my movement selection based on how my back feels. So for example, today, um, the plan for Fridays is to do a pull focus upper body session, but I warmed up on the treadmill. I went through a full mobility routine. I went through the big three, like Miguel, you know, um, his Miguel, uh, big three did all this stuff that I know needs to prepare my body in terms of warming up, uh, my core body temperature and getting my, my back in a good stable position. However, you know, I went through some, a few feeder sets on my first exercise, which honestly it was a chest supported row. So it wasn't something that was straining me too much, but it just didn't feel right. And that's where you really have to know, like, it's not about, you know, there is discomfort within training. That's something we have mm-hmm. to embrace, but there's a difference between discomfort and a difference between pain. I just realized within my feeder sets that my RP was much, much higher than it should be on something that's a warm up set, essentially. So, what I did was, you know, instead of being stubborn and going through the session and aggravating it all the more, all I did was I took a step back, I went back, I did a little bit more mobility, a little bit more foam rolling. And then I swapped in today's session with a with what would be tomorrow's session. So generally on Saturdays, I always do a quad focus lower body session. So instead, I just did that rotation. And it's just giving yourself some grace. You know, injuries are frustrating, but I always try to, and I always try to get this across to clients. Like, let's not think in the now. Don't think on just today's session. Think about what you're training today is going to potentiate going forward. So for instance, 
same thing. Like when I first started training, I was very into failure training and right. it took me a long time. Yeah. Honestly, it, it really took me speaking with people much more intelligent than myself to embrace the reps and reserve because initially I, I didn't grow up in that type of era. I was a competitive bodybuilder. So that was, it was failure or nothing. Right. And so it really took some injuries. It took peeling back the layers of the onion, realizing some of my flaws within that. And then also realizing it's not just about maximizing the stimulus for this initial session. It's about what can I do next week, the week after, how can I continually progress over the course of a mesocycle or a training block rather than just looking at the individual session? Because we know that, you know, failure training done all the time um, is going to incur more systemic fatigue, more peripheral fatigue, and it's going to have a rollover effect. So what I used to notice when I would go to failure all the time is that maybe I had a great session at the beginning of the week, but, but by the tail end of the week, I was trashed. So a lot of my autonomic variables, my heart rate variability would be low. My resting heart rate would start elevating. Sometimes my blood glucose would be off. And these are all indicators of systemic stress. So I've, I've really tried to, I try to blend the, the, you know, both ideologies. So I still have some old school stuff that I do. Um, that just comes from like growing up in a bodybuilding gym, competing 15 times over the years. I try to take, you know, some of the mindset stuff, like really trying to, uh, approach training in a progressive manner. Cause that, that is a great thing about bodybuilding. They're always seeking progression. Even guys without a training program, they make progress. Cause they're always trying to get one more rep. They're always trying right. to put load on the bar. Even if they don't know, like they can't explain to you, you know, they're trying to increase mechanical tension or they're, they're looking to progressively overload. They are looking for progression in and of itself, you know, regardless of how they approach training. But at the same time, then I try to take some of the things that I've learned from evidence-based practice and integrate them to really optimize my approach to training. Not only for now, you know, obviously, you know, I want to make progress now, but I also want to be training 20, 30 years down the road. So trashing my body as I did in my early twenties, if I continue doing that, I, I probably wouldn't be in the game for too long. So it's always about thinking, you know, maximizing, you know, your goals within the, the goal specific phase, but also thinking long-term, like I want to be in this game for a really long time. Right. I think that auto-regulating your training is one of the hardest things to do. I know I had that with my lower back for the longest time. I was always hurting my lower back with my lower body training. And I could always tell like going into it, Hey, this feels off. It would probably be smart for me to keep it like around a two to three RAR, but it's like, fuck. But what I have on paper is one RAR or zero to one RAR this week. Right. And so it's, well, I don't want to bitch out. Like I got to push through it. And then it's like, okay, I could have told myself that that what just happened, like irritated again. Now I can't train my lower body hard for like two to three weeks. And I'm back another two to three weeks where uh, for me, I think that's been a big area of growth in the last couple of years, being you know, okay with like, okay, it feels like I'm being soft in the moment. And that's very challenging. But if I look at the course of like a month of lower body training, I'm going to have much more productive lower body training. I'm going to make more gains in the next month if I'm okay with pulling it back a bit. And I think there's a fine line. Um, I think typically people that people that think they're too soft on themselves are typically, typically actually tend to be the ones that need to pull it back a little bit more and then vice versa. Like people that are like, Oh man, well, I want to make sure that I'm not training too hard. Typically are the ones that need pushed a little bit more, but I think that's been a big area of growth for me. And that's a very hard thing to be okay with. I think that's, it seems like most everyone doesn't really get that figured out until they're like in their late twenties or their thirties, but I think it's probably just something that comes with time. Absolutely. And I think that's why there's such utility in coaching coaches, having coaches. So I still have mentors that I go to and, and then other individuals that are, are more into research or whatever it may be. Like I had a conversation with Eric Helms, um, 
about a week or two ago, and we, we spoke about this even offline, uh, just the concept of maximizing right now or maximizing the, the long-term adaptations over a mesocycle. And it was funny because Jeff, you know, my co-host on Chasing Clarity is all about failure training. Like that's how he grew up that, you know, that's how he, it was ingrained in him. He's in his forties and he's been able to keep that up. However, you know, it doesn't mean that it's maximized, you know, success leaves clues, but it doesn't mean that everything that led to someone being a successful bodybuilder is something that you need to integrate into your own practices. So we have to take into consider bio-individuality. So someone's propensity towards injuries or their propensity towards loading. You know, we look at even volume distribution or volume allocation, everyone's volume budget or, or training dose is a little bit different. So just because, you know, I spoke with Eric about this, you know, for me, I noticed that certain body parts require more volume than others. And that's how I divide my budget up. And it's not just because, you know, evidence-based practice or, you know, the Schoenfeld meta-analysis from 2017 says 10 to 20 sets. Sometimes in some body parts, all I need is six to eight sets. However, there's certain body parts. I do need that upper end of the, the echelon or that 20 sets per week. And it really is being smart about our programming and realizing that there's a lot of broad-based recommendations that we can look to the research, but no research. It doesn't matter if it's a meta-analysis, a systematic review, even the hierarchy of the evidence will never tell you exactly how to train. It will give you um, some hints. It'll give you some uh, directions. It'll give you some uh, a, a direction to head in. However, you need to customize it towards yourself, which is why for my own practice, I don't have have a set and forget principle for myself or for clients. It's like, I really want to gauge what their training dose, what their tolerance is, what their body response best to. And we experiment with some things, but there are things that I do that, you know, I'm not saying they're not evidence-based, but, you know, for instance, I have seen immense results from higher frequency training. And right now, a lot of, you know, initially when Schoenfeld came out with a meta-analysis with James Krieger, it showed that, you know, three times per week or two times per week was better than one time per week. And then they had Gurdjick did a, a follow-up, um, uh, meta-analysis, which showed that volume equated, it didn't matter. You could do one right. time per week, or you could do two times or three times per week. And now we have a new study by Neves that shows that when they trained uh, body parts three times per week, as compared to one time per week, they were able to, I think they increased total, what they, they did it in two different conditions. So one condition, it was volume equated. So they didn't let, so they let one condition in one leg because it was a crossover design or, um, unilateral within subject design, one leg was able to go to failure. And then the next leg, they just equated the reps, not right. going to failure and training more often. However, when they let them go, you know, work towards your, your maximum uh, capacity, they did about 16 more percent in the leg that was able to, or that was trained at a higher frequency. So over time in the short-term study, it's it slightly leaned in favor of significant results. However, we compound that over mm -hmm. month after month, 16%, maybe say 16 to 20% mm -hmm. increase in volume that all of a sudden starts compounding over time and could lead to, to better results. And then we also have to consider the individuality of the person, like who, you know, some people respond better to higher frequency, some don't both from a physiological perspective and then also psychological perspective. Yeah. It's very interesting. And I think another big thing I've learned for you from our discussions is better deciphering and not taking so much stock in like someone saying, okay, so this study showed this. So suddenly like this is fact, right. I've seen that a ton with the, um, the frequency thing specifically where there's a lot of pushback now where for the longest time it was like at least two days a week is gospel now it's like it doesn't really matter and it's just it always ebbs and flows so much back and forth that i think like it's important to again look at yes the research but also like an anecdote as you said success leaves clues for many individuals and i think like I, i'm i'm interested personally to really dig into the higher frequency side of things with our specialization phase that we have coming up because it's not something that i've played with 
too much. And I'm really interested to see, I mean, with clients, like I've got, I would say like the highest frequency is I've gotten up to like three times a week. Occasionally with delts, like we'll push that to like four times a week, but it's not something that I've really played with too terribly much. So I'm really interested to see what that looks like as well. Yeah, man, I'm looking forward. I don't know if you want to discuss a little bit before we get yeah, into absolutely. the the podcast, but there are the questions, but your plan going forward. So, you know, I'll give a little bit of a wrap up as to where we are now, and then you fill in any of the gaps. Um, obviously, you and I converse all the time, but I'll give a little recap for the audience. So essentially what we've done recently, we just were essentially at the last week of, or the final week of our recovery phase. And so really the intention behind this, I pulled back on his training. I pulled that back on all systemic stressors and I increased energy availability because Jeremiah was in a state where he was leaner than he had ever been. So a lot of the, a lot of physiological systems are downregulated. You're a little bit burnt out, uh, both physically, mentally, you know, it was months. He was a 15 week photo shoot prep. He got leaner than ever before. And also we have to realize, and this is something that I often speak to because I work with a lot of other coaches. And this is something that you and I have discussed in, in depth we have to consider that we have, you know, this allostatic load, we have one stress bucket. So you're running a very productive business. You have a full team under you. You have an incredible relationship with Katie. Like, you know, you were getting ready to get engaged the week of our photo shoot. So there was all these stressors. And when I say stressors, I don't want to say this isn't in a negative perspective. I actually don't look at stress as a negative thing, but they are stressors. So your training is a stress, your nutrition, being in a deficit is a stress, you know, the, the ring, you know, the issue with, with the ring coming. Oh yeah. Hell is stressful. Just the stress of, of amping yourself up after years of a relationship to propose the love of your life. And then the vacation coming up and the photo shoot with the, the photographer that pulled out last minute. So these are all stressors. So we have to realize that we only have so much room in that bucket. So we have two options. We offload that stress or we build a, a bigger bucket. We build more stress resilience. But generally, we have to pull back before we can build that stress resilience. So essentially what I did was, you know, I increased... Um, Jeremiah's energy availability, meaning his calorie intake was substantially increased. And really the goal was to gain back some fat, you know, avoid body fat overshooting, which is something we've spoken about in the past. We've spoken about reverse dieting in, in depth, but he was at a state where he was way too lean to stay at that point. So reverse diet is most applicable when someone has gotten lifestyle lean. However, you know, you were far past the lifestyle lean. Yeah. I would never suggest someone stay at that, that low of a body fat percentage. So we wanted to gain back some fat. We wanted to get you feeling better. We pulled back on, on total volume and we just worked on, you know, essentially, um, recovery, you know, in all aspects, physiologically, psychologically, mentally, you were able to put more intention into your business, into enjoying your vacation, all these things. And then really this past week, what we did was we, uh, I implemented a deload, pulled back on things, um, in order to not only drop fatigue, but also we did blood work this week, which we're still waiting to get back. However, you know, really what we're going to do is I wanted to get an objective look under the hood and assess how your internal physiology is looking, um, after, you know, us just completing this, um, recovery phase. And then this weekend, you know, after this conversation this weekend, I'm going to start working on our first specialization cycle where we're going to, you know, this is something that Jeremiah and I have already discussed. We're going to focus on chest and biceps, which we will be pairing together with a lean building phase. Um, and essentially what that's going to look like is I'm going to put him in a, in a slate surplus right now. We're doing what I call a diet reset to really see his either rate of gain or rate of loss, because this, this past week was Christmas. So he actually, he had some free meals. So I really want to see where his calorie balance is now and what it's, it's dictating in terms of his body weight, his body composition, all those type of things. And so then we're going to do a chest and bicep specialization phase 
that's going to be paired with a lean building phase. So I'll put them in a slight surplus um, because really the goal is going to be to fuel productive training and proper recovery. But your goal, as you came to me, you know, we discussed his goals previously was he wanted to stay leaner than he was in the past. And, you know, so we're not going to be, you know, my goal isn't to force calories down. And that really never is, but there are times that like when someone comes to me and they're really new, uh, like they're green in training or they have, you know, they've only been in the gym a couple of years. They haven't maximized nutrition or training. I can really push calories because their rate of gain in terms of muscle accrual is much higher. So more their, their calorie partitioning is, is really in a good place. But besides that, their rate of gain in terms of muscle accrual is much higher than someone that's 10 plus years in training. Just like myself, I, I keep a very, right now I'm in about a 250 calorie surplus per day, give or take. Um, and so really we're going to be shooting for a moderate rate of gain throughout this period, making sure that we're accruing more muscle than fat, because really the goal is to accrue muscle tissue, not to gain an excessive amount of fat. And that's something, you know, you've, you know, expressed to me, and I know you've talked about it on the, on the show before you've done some gaining phases where you've gotten excessively heavy and you just haven't seen it yield, you know, and you right. can share your own experience, but you haven't seen it yield any benefits. So really, you know, um, you know, and also I think another consideration we have to make is that you want to, you want to progress your physique. And this is something we discuss, but that's not your main priority. It also mm-hmm. is business. So really, even from my perspective, when we were discussing this, I didn't think it was conducive to just go all in on gaining, like really push an, an assertive rate of gain, have you forcing down all these calories. And, you know, it's not only from the digestive perspective, it's not only from like the food preparation perspective, but all these things are time consuming. Like I'll tell you, I've went up to 800 to 900 grams of carbs a day and eating became my job. And that's oh, really yeah. not conducive to building a business. So often I find that when I'm in, whether it be a diet, it, it's almost easier to, to run a business when I'm dieting because I have to think less about food <laughs> and there's less, it's less time consuming. My it really is. You have you know so much I mean? more time. Yeah. So it's really, you know, really my, my goal is to um, approach this next phase in a way that's in the middle between what's optimal for your goals and what's practical for your current schedule, your responsibilities, your life co- style constraints, and then also development of your business. Absolutely. And I appreciate, I know we talked about this, but I really appreciate the consideration for all of those factors as well. I think that's such an important part of the coaching coaching process too, because I think it's easy as a coach for you to get laser focused on what you would want the client to accomplish, right? Like, oh, it'd be so cool if this person just got like five pounds leaner yet, because then they'd be fucking shredded, right? And that, that'd look even better. Or if Jeremiah just went all in on just adding as much tissue as he possibly could. Not, not that I don't want to, but like, as we just talked about, it's not my first priority. It's not, and one of the first question we have is about our 2023 goals. So that's, this will kind of bleed over into that as well. But as we talked about, it's not at the top of my priority list. I'm of course going to continue to make it a priority. Like I'm not going to miss training sessions. I'm not going to miss on my nutrition, but like the amount of time I want to invest into that, it's not like, uh, it's still like, I need to be able to make again, the business, the relationships and things of that nature, like my top priorities. Um, and as you said, with like the staying a little, relatively leaner, I'm also under no illusions that it's going to be like, I'm going to see a crazy recomp here. I'm not going to gain any body fat or anything of that nature. But I know as we discussed, like I've gone through building phases in the last couple of years where, and this is something I've changed my perspective on a lot, right? Where I previously, a few years ago, I thought, the more advanced you get, the more aggressive we need to be in a building phase um, to kind of force growth, so to speak, which now logically to me doesn't make sense at all because <laughs> we know that rate of gain slows, but it's it's something you hear a lot in the industry still, which is interesting to me. Um, 
So, I mean, like I'm shit, I'm 190 right now. I've been up to 235 in building phases. Even my last, like in February of this last year, I was 215. And I know we got down to 177 for the photo shoot, but even then, like 25 pounds heavier than I am now. Still a little bit more reasonable, but still, like, I don't, there's just not a need to like push it like that aggressively. I don't think so. It's not, I'm not under any illusions that I'm just going to like stay shredded and just add a ton of tissue without any body fat. But again, just keeping it more reasonable. Um, from your perspective, why chest and biceps? Cause I know I kind of threw it out there. I was thinking like, like quad specialization for a long time, but really I feel like my lower body training has been so productive. And I know I talked about some, my check-in as well, where one, we really saw things come through a lot more like as I got leaner, but also like as of late, that's been like tension is so good. The disruption I'm getting there is so good that it's like, I don't feel like I need to do more lower body training than I am even currently necessarily. I just need to continue to do what I'm doing. And I think that that's will continue to progress well. So from your perspective, why chest and biceps? All right. So I'm going to give you two main reasons as to why I didn't believe that going to a leg specialization cycle was the best um, plan of action for the first phase. Uh, actually, I could give you three reasons. So the first one, and, and I want you know to be transparent here because this is stuff that we discuss off air, but just so the audience knows, it's never that I decide exactly what specialization cycle a client is doing. This is a collaborative right. effort. I, I even told you with exercise selection, things like that. I want to make this fun for you. I want you to be bought into the program. And if this was anything that you weren't in alignment with, we would change the, the course direction. However, about four or five weeks ago, we actually had a chat with Jeff Horn, one of our buddies. And I'd said, listen, when we get to the end of this phase, I'm going to reanalyze everything. But right now I'm leaning towards a chest specialization cycle. And you were in alignment with legs. And I said, at that point, we'll, we'll have this discussion. However, over this past phase, I've reduced your volume and pretty much put you at minimum effective volume. And I think two things have really shown, and I did that for multiple reasons. However, um, the first thing during your actual fat loss phase itself, initially we thought your legs were maybe a little underdeveloped as compared, your quads were underdeveloped as compared to the rest of your body. However, I think that was, um, we just didn't see the full development and towards, uh, until later into the program, we actually saw that you had a lot more tissue on your legs than either of us, you know, expected. And so I think that was, you know, eye-opening first and foremost. And then the second thing was we've put you at minimum effective volume and you've progressed your legs probably more than any other body part. So in my mind, if we're being able to progress a body part and a lower amount of volume, why would we allocate more? Because really how I do a specialization, a specialization phase is I take this, this concept of training dose or, or we can look at it as a, a volume budget. And say you have a hundred units of training dose per week, I'm going to allocate a little bit more towards the body parts that I think need more development or that we're, it's either you need more development, they're lagging, or you want to focus on. However, right. we're getting a lot of bang out of our, our buck from a lower amount of training stimulus for your legs. So to focus on them and to increase the stimulus on them while having to back down on other body parts, because here's the thing for every, give me, there's a gotcha. And there's no free lumps in, in physiology. So if we were to increase, like if we did a specialization cycle and we only focused on your legs and we increase the training dose, so the volume, the intensity, the frequency on your legs, it's going to have to take away from other things. And that could potentially lead to body parts like your chest, like your biceps, getting less stimulus than you need 
to not only grow, but also to maintain. So really where I was looking at it was right now we're able to, we're making gains at a very you know minimum effective dose. We're, we're doing at a low volume. We can continue doing that. We don't have to pull back on that. However, if I was to pull back on some of your other body parts, we might not see as much progression as at this lower dose as we have with your legs. Right. Okay. Absolutely. That makes complete sense. And that's, I know we talked about the chest aspect, so I wasn't surprised by that biceps. I wasn't really surprised by either. I've honestly always hated training biceps. So I know that is definitely a lagging point for me as well, but regardless, I'm stoked to get into it. So we'll of course keep everybody updated over the next few months as this progresses, but let's get into the questions, man, to kick it off for you. What are your goals for 2023? All right. So when it comes to goal setting, um, and I want to make this clear, like you know, it's not that I'm against New Year's resolutions. Obviously, we're coming up in the new year. I've just never been a New Year's resolution. However, I do like goal setting. That's just something that has always fit with my mentality. I just don't think that as of January 1st, I definitely have to start a, a new lifestyle because I've been living this way for, for quite some time. However, I do like to set yearly goals just in terms of three categories, essentially. And this is what I call my three Fs. And within the three Fs, I have my finances, which includes like my coaching business, my career goals, that I have my family slash faith. And that's going to include my relationships with my family, my loved ones, and then also with God. And then I also have the last category is my fitness. And that's going to include all goals related to my physique and health. So, you know, really how I conceptualize goals is based off those three categories. And I try to, you know, have them, I look at it almost like a pie and each of them are taking up a third. So really when it comes to say the first category, um, which would be finances or AKA business, um, from a career and business perspective, I'm going to be taking, uh, you know, this year I've, I've really decided I'm going to be taking a slightly different approach. Um, you and I actually had a podcast that we did early in 2022. So right at the beginning of this year, mm-hmm. and you would ask me like what my goal was for the year. And really what I focused on was on mentorships. I really you know, went all in on them. And um, so the past year, my focus has been, you know, really focusing on expanding my one-on-one private mentorships. Um, you know, you have been a part of this, Andy's been a part of this and then many others. And this past year, I've honestly, I've had the opportunity to work with and mentor a great group of mentees, which have ranged from other coaches, you know, fitness professionals I've done, I've worked with personal trainers, gym owners, and then other just like competitors and fitness enthusiasts. And it's been something that's been extremely um, beneficial. Like I've really enjoyed the process, but it's also been extremely time consuming on my end because as you know, I do essentially a private mentorship. So this is one-on-one, you know, the only time that I do it in a little bit larger of a group is if it's a team. So for instance, in your case, I did it with yourself and Andy, but it's always, you know, how I've always went about the mentorship is it's been customized to the individual. So instead of setting up, say like a weekly module that everyone jumps on in like a group setting, like many others do, And when we look at some other people's mentorships, they're set in stone. So you don't select what topics we're going over. There's no no back and forth. And and that's all well and good. I just, I know that I've taken many of those mentorships and I never benefited from them as much as when I had a private mentorship with either, you know, a professional, another coach or a researcher. And I had these one-on-one consultations where we just dove deep into the areas that I needed the most work on. So really how I've approached my own mentorships is... You know, I do 90 minute Zoom calls and I essentially present on topics that the individual mentee needed the most work on. And right. as you know, you know, most coaches who mentor others in the space do it in a group setting. So it's a lot more um time efficient. But they also have that like 
um, I guess you could call it like a preset syllabus. So the, mm-hmm. the mentee is unable to pick what they need and what, what they want to learn about, which is the opposite of what I was doing. So it's been extremely time consuming and I've really enjoyed doing it. However, this next year, I'm going to cut back on the amount of mentees that I take on and I'm still going to work with some, you know, I've really enjoyed, you know, some of the uh, relationships I've built through it, but really what my focus is going to be over the next year business-wise is to expand the amount of one-on-one coaching clients I work with, as there's been a good number of individuals that have contacted me throughout the year that I would love to work with. I would love to help, but you know, I'm someone that I'm, I'm very honest about my availability. And when I don't have the time availability, or I don't have space on my roster, I just don't take people on. So I found that, especially during the first portion of 2022, I was turning a lot of people away or I was referring them out. And that was confounded by multiple things. I was doing a lot of mentorships, but I also had a full-time corporate job. So that really did limit my time. So now that I'm full-time within coaching, my main focus is going to be working with more individuals on a one-on-one coaching basis. Um, Because as much as I love educating other coaches in the space, my primary passion is working with people one-on-one. And I really do enjoy the process of helping clients develop. And so that's really going to be my focus within within this, this year, um, really building up my roster, being able to work with more people individually, one-on-one, and, and it's still going to have an educational component because I always love teaching my clients, but it's going to be a little bit less on the mentorship perspective and a little bit more on the, um, on the one-on-one coaching perspective, but also I'm going to bridge that gap because I'm going to participate in more of these seminars. So for instance, in a couple of weeks, I'll be presenting at the PC. I have a couple others that I'm looking at doing, whether they be in person or actually online, like webinars. And so I'm still going to have the opportunity to mentor people and educate them, but in a format that isn't, you know, right now I have multiple mentorships running at the same time. So every week I'm preparing topics at very time uh, consuming because sometimes it's on something that it's not my forte, but I'm looking into the research, I'm digging in deep, or I'm trying to re-educate myself on something that I haven't touched on in, in quite some time, because it might be, you know, someone is working with a very specific clientele that I haven't encountered in the last three years. So I have experience right. with them. However, I need to refresh my my um, my approach, or then I need to um, revise some of the, or, or look over some of the research to revise some of my approaches to things. So from the business perspective, more one-on-one coaching clients, then on the family and the faith side, I'm, I want to continue to develop my relationships and my bond with my loved ones and try away. You know, I, I always say this, I'm going to try to become a little bit more balanced, although that's much easier said than done, as you very well know. Um, so that will be definitely a personal goal for myself. And then on the fitness side, I'm really aiming to have a really productive building phase, um, where I'm able to accrue some tissue as the last two years have not been productive in terms of building muscle. You know, 2020, I was hit by a distracted driver. I had that back, um, injury as a result of that. And I just wasn't able, I was in pain at all times. So I really didn't have great productive training. I was in the gym, but I wasn't really progressing. I was pretty much just maintaining my physique. And then 2021 was when I had those two surgeries that essentially took me out of the gym for about four months. So really my goal was just rehabilitation and getting back into the gym. So I'm really looking forward to this being the year where I'm able to have a long runway where I'm able to really make some progress because it has been a few years. And, And this is something that, you know, I'm, I got into this because I was passionate about training. So I really want to be able to progress in that format. And I'm also someone that I really do look to be a walking represent, uh, representative of what I preach. And I've been able to get a lot of people to gain a ton of muscle mm-hmm. and I need to do it again for myself because I've been much larger than I am now. Absolutely. We're both going to be way fucking bigger this time next year than we are now. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I love it, man. Um, on the relationship side of things, I know you had got your girl uh trip for her birthday. Did you guys figure yes, out sir. where you're going yet? Yeah, we are going to Playa del Carmen. 
in the Dominican oh, yeah. Republic. So we're looking awesome. forward to it. I let her pick out everything that she wanted, a uh, full resort. And so it's going to be, we leave the first week of March. So I wanted to make it so that, you know, I obviously have the trip at the end of January and then I want, you know, February is a short month. Um, I wanted a full month where I was able to catch up on all work. Not that it's going to take that long, but I just want a full month just grinding. And the first week of March before kids go on spring break, we're going to be out there. <laughs> Hell yeah. Sounds like a great time. I can, from the mentorship perspective as well, we've done things similar to that in the past. And it's always come back like we, what early this last year for like brand new coaches, we ran kind of a mentorship and while we enjoyed it, it always has come back to, okay, this, we have this and we have one-on-one coaching. Our focus on this, despite like teaching other people how to be better one-on-one coaches, like we could be investing that time in us. Like how do we continue to improve our service? How do we give more to our clients that we're working with? And it's, it's, and it's an appealing thing because like straight up, you can make a lot of money from like a one-on-one mentorship with someone. But within that, like it's every time it's come back to like, Hey, this just isn't our thing. This isn't what we need to be focused on. Like the one thing we're focused on is one-on-one coaching and how can we have the best possible one-on-one coaching service? So I know we've been through some somewhat similar to that. And that's kind of the conclusion we always came through, but it's, it's cool. It's cool to hear kind of like how your business has grown and developed over the last year. So since you get hit the corporate or quit the corporate job as well. Um, yeah. So from my end, I know we were actually just talking about this in our last check. And so it's ironic. This came up um, my 2023 goals. I said, I'm in a pretty similar way. I'll say first, I think that as time goes on, I set less and less like big goals. I have a, I'm, I am a very goal-driven person, but almost, I think it's to a fault where I can always be so focused on like accomplishing the thing. And I get to the point where it's like, I'm 80% of the way there. And then I always raise the bar higher. So even like when I hit the thing, I don't actually ever like take the time to enjoy it, but it gets to the point where I think in the past and it, not in the past yet, this is something I constantly am still realizing. Like it makes me, it can make me very unhappy because I'm basically just pissed off my day to day that I haven't reached the thing that I wanted to reach yet. Right. Where it's like your physique goals, your business goals, whatever it may be, there's not really a finish line, right? Like if we look at like the photo shoot prep that I did, that was great. It was super cool to get as lean as I did be in the best shape of my life. But I don't ever think about like when I got there, the day of the photo shoot, my most peeled, I took off my shirt, looked in the mirror, like, oh, cool. I look pretty lean. I don't even like think back about that day. and like, oh, I was so fucking ripped. That was great. Right? Like the parts of that I look back on fondly are the process of like, man, I'm hungry and I'm tired, but I'm still doing my cardio. I'm still training, getting up a little bit earlier so I can make sure I can get my steps in. Like the things like that are really the things you look back on and enjoy the most. Right. So I think for one, something that I try to encourage upon myself is being more focused on what are the things I need to do day to day, week to week. Like I have an idea of where I want to go, but and I almost feel like it's kind of disappointing when I talk about things like this, because a lot of times I don't have like a, Hey, here's the grand vision, but rather like, these are the things that I want to do in my day to day to get there. Right. So I will say, um, from a relationship perspective, and I said very similar to you basically looking at relationships, um, what we're going to do with our company company and my own body. Um, I definitely want to be present with Katie just prepping for the wedding as much as anything else as we talked about proposed the end of October. And I 
think that is something the last year I have not been great about is just being present. Um, it's so easy for me to always be like, if I'm not like up here working and like I'm thinking about it, I'm checking emails on my phone or I'm just on my phone on social media, whatever it may be. And really just making sure that like all the things that come along with like planning and preparing for that, especially stuff like that, where it's like, do I really like, okay, we're picking out what tables we're going to use. And it's so easy to be like, yeah, whatever you want. I don't care. But like, I know it's important to her. Whereas like, I honestly don't care at all what tables we have, but I want to like be present for her. And like, <laughs> I want her to know that I'm there and like a part of it with her. That's one of my biggest goals. Um, From the physique perspective, like we talked about, it's, it is a, still a priority. It's not my top priority, but I definitely would love to add some tissue, chest, biceps. Really there again, it's not at this point for me, it's not so much like nothing that none of our business is built around my physique, which is, I'm very glad. I'm very happy that I, I made, and I made a very conscious decision for it to be that way. Like I very rarely share anything about my physique, my face, anything, but because of like, I don't feel a pressure to like look a certain way or anything of that nature from that perspective, like from social media, but it is very important to me to that I know that I'm practicing what I'm preaching to clients, right? I don't want to be an imposter. So there, like, I am never going to let myself fall off that. I don't want to be telling people to do shit that I'm not doing. So still like that is a priority, but again, it's more so like I enjoy training. I enjoy pushing myself. I enjoy, I know I'm like staying disciplined with my nutrition almost more. I think at this point than I enjoy like looking in the mirror and like, Oh yeah, I think my pecs look a little bit bigger than they did before. Um, from a business perspective, this is, I'm always hesitant to talk about business publicly actually, but I would say like, uh, for this, we do need to add another coach here very, very soon. We're at the point where I'm not actually ready to like put this out there but like as a formal application. But if you are an experienced coach listening, you have at least a few years working with clients and you would rather join a team than continue to do it on your own, definitely reach out to me via DM because we do need to add someone here very, very shortly as our team continues to grow. And then a large part of it is around just how can I continue to be a better leader for my team? Um, how can I kind of help them create the lives that they want, both from the perspective of like, hey, are you working with clients you love working with? Um, the Financially, like, can you do that? Do you have the freedom that you want there, right? Um, it's super cool to be able to create opportunities like that for people. And then like, just bring our clients together as a better community is really one of my larger goals for this year as well, where we have a lot of clients who have a great one-on-one -on -one relationship with our coach and like love our team. But I want to really be better about kind of bringing everyone together and connecting our clients because we have such incredible people that have so much in common. And I think part of that is on me to better lead that because I naturally am kind of like, I'm just going to hole up here. I'm not really going to talk to anybody and I need to kind of be the spark for that. So it's honestly, I think a lot of it is my growth as a leader. And then the podcast for me this year is actually a big focus. Similarly, looking at like to continue to build our community and bring in like the people that we love to work with and who work with us the best and get the best results from working with us. And one of the things I've identified is almost all of those people are podcast listeners, right? So I want to grow the reach of that and improve the quality of it also. And like straight up, like I have a tendency to a lot of times just wing it with podcasts. And that's because for me, it's always kind of been an afterthought where really like 
I would rather write than talk typically. <laughs> so it's kind of like, okay, I'm just going to wing it. I can put out a podcast and like, okay, tick the podcast box where that's something that has to change. Um, yeah, I would really say for me though, those are the biggest things. Um, yeah, that's what I got. No, I like it. Uh, I actually, you know, I want to expand on the podcast a little bit. I, I have to say that first of all, you have a great community here and uh, I've been lucky enough to, to join it, uh, to get a lot of feedback as a result of us doing so many podcasts together, but there's something unique about podcast listeners. And, you know, for years I didn't do podcasts, um, honestly, because I was so you know, busy with other entities, having a corporate job, traveling. And then also I was, I was pretty introverted. So it wasn't something I was very comfortable with, which is a little bit odd when I look back because I used to do presentations around the country. Um, however, then I didn't want to jump on a podcast and I didn't want to figure out the mics and, and all that kind of stuff, which I'm just figuring out now. So I'm still not a pro. However, um, it's, I realize that I'm someone in, and you know this very well, I'll talk your ear off. Like if you have questions, like I'll go in depth, even my, you know, often my clients will tell me that my emails read off like a conversation often they're in depth. They're very lengthy. And I really do love explaining myself to people. And I used to really, um, you prefer writing, as you're saying, like I would have been someone I used to write for bodybuilding.com and multiple publications. And anytime that I did a fitness publication, really, I use the images just to get my ability, you know, just to get my foot in the door to write something for them. Cause that was a right. passion of mine. However, really what I appreciate about podcast listeners is that we are in a society, we are in, in also in an industry where there's very short intention spans, but someone that's a podcast listener that tunes in weekly, they're a devoted member of our community. They are a friend. They're someone we built a relationship with. They get to know us. And so really what I found is the clients that I have that come to me, that I've listened to my podcast that have, you know, given me feedback that have provided me with questions that I've went over, whether it be on your show, on Jeff's show, on my own show, you know, over time, they're the people that once they've signed up, we've already built a, a relationship. We've already had a connection. They've already gotten to know me. And then I get the opportunity to know them. And often it's those individuals that are more bought into the process because they realize that it's not just about getting an Instagram caption or looking at a Twitter, you know, um, you know, a very short caption and getting everything out of that. They realize that this is going to take time and they also value a little bit more in-depth interaction. I always say attention to detail makes all the difference. And it's those podcast listeners that can sit through an hour conversation every single week and derive value from it that I really love pouring my my energy and my time into. And so it's something unique and it's something that, you know, I had set a goal um, a few years ago to do two podcasts a week, one to two podcasts a week. And I've kept that up every single week um, for the last two years. And it's really given me a community and connections with people like yourself, but also with listeners that I would have never connected with otherwise, but they've been some of the greatest connections. I've been able to help people that I've not only, you know, many clients, I've met them through podcasting channels, but also I've been able to help a lot of people that couldn't afford coaching, which is, you know, immensely beneficial as well as it's, it's fulfilling as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm very thankful I started the podcast when I did as well. It's interesting, like in the, to speak to the business side of things a little bit more. Um, I know like in a lot of the business coaching side of things, so much of it is just like, do like a, what they call like a blunt post, right? Where it's like, Hey, just put out there. Like I'm looking for 10 men who want to lose whatever amount of weight in X amount of days. And I think like short-term, if you're coaching, that's a help. Yeah. Like that can generate some new clients. But I also think long, at least what I've seen is very much like how we built our company. It hasn't ever been like, Hey, we just had this massive boom where all these clients came in, but it's always just been a slow trickle. And so much of that has been like, just focusing on like 
the blogs and the podcast for years and years and years, just being so consistent with it, where like it's evergreen content versus again, just like kind of the short burst. I think that that just builds. And like, if you can continue to put that out over time again, like, as you said, you attract clients that once you like, they understand you, they know what you're about. They know what your company is about, what you, what you value. And they want, they want you to pour into them basically. That sounds super weird phrasing, but I think everybody understands what I'm, I'm saying. Where like, they want you to take that knowledge and like, they want to learn, they want to be educated. They want to ask questions and engage. Right. And that's, that's such a valuable thing. That's like one of the things we value most in clients. So I'm very grateful to that. Like that was something that I've done because it's really cool to kind of see how it's paid off now. But I, I mean, well, the podcast is over three years old now. We have hundreds of blogs out there and it wasn't something that I saw the return on for a very, very long time. Um, kind of a different tangent, but any other thoughts on the 2023 goals before we move on? I think we're good to go, my man. Cool. All right. Next up we have, should men and women train differently? Do you program differently for your male and female clients? All right. So there are going to be a couple slight differences here. So women are generally going to be able to recover just a little bit quicker between sets. And then I believe men are generally going to be able to be a little bit more explosive. So we'll typically like within a one rep max, we'll be able to um, lift a little bit heavier load. Whereas women will typically be able to like go a little bit longer at any given percentage of load, if I'm correct. Now that said, like, and I also... I believe women can typically handle a little bit more volume. That said, like, I don't really consider any of this what I'm actually programming. When I'm programming, it is much more so focused on um, what specifically are your priorities, right? So I think this more ties into exercise selection. And the reality is like, we can, it's very much like speaking to studies, right? Where like, we can look at the study and say, okay, 10 to 20 hard sets per week is about the amount of volume that we should do. But that actually does very little, like when I'm creating a training program, right? It's much more so the individual response. So coaching is much more like, hey, let's kind of based on what you've been doing previously, let me take my best guess at where your volume needs are. And then let's see how you respond. And literally for most everyone, it's going to be even on a body part by body part basis. Like if we take two women or two men, like how their chest or their glutes or whatever it may be, like seems to grow best. Even like we talk about like my chest versus like, my lower body, like it's very much looks like the amount of volume that I'm going to need to do for those two parts is going to be much different. Whereas for Brandon, that might be the exact opposite, right? So there, I really like, none of these are things I'm considering more. So I'm looking at like, okay, for the individual, what are their priority muscle groups? And that's really going to dictate again, exercise selection and our overall volume allocation, right? So to like generally, um, a lot more men that we work with, like chest will be a lot more of a priority, right? So we're probably going to allocate quite a bit more volume towards chest. Whereas a lot of women we work with, it happens on occasion, but a lot of women we work with won't be like, man, I really want to my lower pec specifically. I want to get like super defined and really cut out. Right. I don't even know if that's possible to visually see, but like within that, okay, we're probably yes for like overall, overall joint health. Yeah, we probably want to make sure we still have like a bit of pressing in there, but really I'm probably not even a program like any short and overload movements for that individual's chest, right? For like a female client, unless it's a priority. Um, it'll probably be something like 
one to two pressing variations, right? But we might bias delts a little bit more. Hey, we might bias lats or upper back or whatever your priorities are a little bit more, or we might just have a little bit more prioritization towards lower body volume. So it's much more so, again, like where we're allocating volume, then I, and I will say like anecdotally, I have seen women, I think can handle a little bit more volume. Um, I think women typically have a little bit higher pain threshold as well. Just from like watching a lot of form videos, it seems that women are a little bit better at grinding through sets. And I don't, I again, don't know if that's just like, like we talked about before the ability to like go like do more reps at any given percentage of load used, but it's mostly just based around exercise selection and volume allocation for me. What are your thoughts on all that? Yeah. So um, this is, I find this topic to be extremely interesting because I feel like there's a lot of individuals that have almost like a black and white viewpoint on this topic. Like when they look at sex specific training, it's like women, you know, females need to train like this and males need to train like this. And I think really when we look at programming, especially, you know, it's something different when you put out general information, but what do you and I do? We coach. And I think when we look at programming, we need to look beyond the sexes and look at the goal of training in general for the individual. So at the end of the day, you know, most men and women that we encounter that are in the gym and training, you know, they're training for the same reason, essentially. They're both looking to improve their body composition. They're looking to build muscle and become a stronger and fitter, healthier version of themselves. So despite the fact that females may, may describe their body composition goals a little bit differently. So we'll often, you know, I, I know, and I'm sure you can attest to this. I'll have female clients that will come to me and say that their goal is to get more toned or to be more sculpted in order to accomplish this goal. Most are going to need to focus on the, on building muscle and, you know, either maintaining or losing body fat, which is exactly what most males are trying to do with their training as well. So it's not that, you know, just because they're different sexes, they have completely different, or they should take completely different approaches to training. So that's kind of how I look at it. But when it comes to effectively building muscle, the principles and methods are the same for both males and females. So I don't believe that there should be like these broad-based differences in we take and how we program training for females and males, but rather program in a matter which suits the individual we're working with and considers, you know, things like their goals, their abilities, their training history, uh, their training experience, their preferences, and then also their lifestyle constraints, not just their sex. So often I'll, I'll see people put out these things like women need to train like this or males need to train like that. And I just feel like that's too broad of a characteristic or information to be thrown out there that kind of misleads individuals into thinking that they need to take a very specific approach. And really when it comes down to it, you know, I see something very similar to you uh, that you do with your female clients. Uh, You know, when it comes down to like the biggest differences that I see between say my female and male clients, um, it's generally how I allocate their volume, but that's primarily due to having different goals in terms of what body parts they want to bring up and develop more. So this is where I'll focus more of their weekly volume on a particular muscle group. So generally, you know, as we've discussed previously, when it comes to programming, I like to allocate more volume to muscles that are either lagging or their areas that a specific client wants to work on. So in your case right now, we're going to be focusing more of your weekly volume or your weekly budget towards your chest. Whereas with many of my female clients, like you mentioned, they're not going to do that. They're going to be looking to develop their glutes or their hamstrings or their lower body. So it's just a different allocation. So it's not that the training principles change. It's just the focus of what muscle groups that we're really utilizing those principles on are, are different. So this is where I'll utilize specialization cycles, but I'll just program them differently in terms of where I'll invest more of their total weekly volume budget towards the muscle that we're looking to bring up. Um, but I have found 
you know, very similar to what you mentioned that a lot of my female clients can handle slightly more volume than my male clients. So they may have like a a slightly larger uh, total volume budget, which Mm -hmm. is due to, you know, a a variety of reasons. Like you mentioned, they recover uh, better in between sets. We have seen within the research that females uh, tend to have, uh, tend to fatigue slower than males and have a more efficient recovery capacity. So they can not only handle more work, but they're also able to recover more efficiently from that work. And we also see that if you look at like um, muscle type or muscle fiber type analyses between males and females, generally females are shown to have more slow twitch muscle fibers. Um, And so that they're going to be more resistant against fatigue. And they're also, they have better muscle perfusion. So essentially what they're able to do, it's essentially blood flow. Um, They're able to clear out like metabolites, like lactate, hydrogen ions, a little bit better. So, you know, they might be more favorable to higher reps. And I think we see that even evident, like, even if we just look at like successful training programs of females, it leaves clues. You know what I mean? It's not that women can't train in lower rep ranges, just oftentimes they prefer a little bit of higher rep ranges. But I think it's important to note that although there are some physiological differences that we see in research, uh, this isn't something that's set in stone. So it's not like every single client is going to benefit from utilizing these principles. So it's not like with every female client that I have that I'm going to allocate more volume or higher rep work just because a lot of my females respond better to that. Because I honestly, I have some female clients who respond to, you know, best to lower volumes than even my males do. So just because one of my female clients or many of my female clients do well with higher volume programs, that doesn't mean that I program every single female that I work with, with higher volume programs, because not only do they not all respond that way, but say, for instance, we have to consider lifestyle constraints. So if I'm working with a busy mom or someone that owns a business, like I, I currently work with a female that owns a chain of, uh, of gyms. So despite her working in the fitness industry, she's much more on the business side of things. She, she's incredibly busy. So you know, if I program her with a very high volume training program, and she's not able to, she doesn't have the time or the desire or even the ability to commit to that, it's not going to benefit her, you know, for me to program in the matter. So these are things that I always try to take into consideration. And um, we also have to consider the fact that regardless, you know, of the volume allocation um, or what focus, you know, what muscle groups we focus on, the principle of progressive overload still applies to both males and females. So, you know, when it comes to training, we need to make sure that we're challenging their current, you know, capabilities, yet we're giving them a training dose that they can still recover from in in order to ensure that they're adapting to their training, they're growing muscle in the process and progressing their performance in the gym over time. So when it comes to programming training, I'm going to base that off of, you know, off the individual, not just based off the sex. And this is where I kind of disagree with some of the content that gets put out there where, you know, even like if we look at, for instance, you know, there are a lot of research looking into menstrual cycle periodization or menstrual cycle phases and stuff. And generally, if you look into the actual research on that, a lot of times they're they're going off of the bare basic, the standardized 28-day menstrual cycle. Well, when we actually look into the physiology of the female menstrual cycle, naturally menstruating female can go anywhere from 21 days to 35 days. So yes, the average of the two, because there's 14 day difference is 28 days. But if we're to, you know, preset or pre-program in a manner that we set things up according to a regular stock standard menstrual cycle, just because the female is a naturally menstruating female, if we're doing say, you know, for instance, some of the research that I've looked into is the first two weeks of the, um, the cycle, the follicular phase, 
they train, they have females trained. Now, keep in mind, this isn't a research study. So everything standardized. It's not customized to the individual, but they'll have females trained five days per week. Then during the luteal phase, so the second half of the menstrual cycle, the last two weeks in this training study, they'll have them only trained twice per week. So there's these massive deviations and fluctuations between training approach. Personally, I have some females that they really see no fluctuations throughout the course of their menstrual cycle. And then I have some that the final week, I need to deload them. So we have to take into consideration, there is no stock standard approach to training. We need to utilize principles like progressive overload, like individualization of volume, like auto-regulation and being able to adjust things based off of that client's biofeedback in that week. So if they're having a really, you know, the, the final week of the luteal phase, they're really having, you know, a rough week with PMS. That's where we pull back, but it's not that we had this approach where, you know, some people will even utilize like a three, uh, one paradigm, meaning three weeks of accumulation, one week of deloading. Well, let's, let's look at it like this. Say a woman nationally menstruates, she, her cycle lasts 35 days on average. Well, if you're doing a three to one, you're missing the week in which her symptomology is worse. So it's, it, I, I never like these stock standard approaches. You know, I'm very into auto-regulating and, and having more of a reactive approach rather than a pre-programmed approach. So really when it comes to training, I think we really need to approach things way beyond just the sex of the individual and really consider the individual client we're working with, their tr- pre- uh, previous training history, what has worked best for them and also what they like. Yeah, absolutely. The like syncing up training with the menstrual cycle specifically is such an interesting one because I know some individuals will talk about that, like kind of frame it like if you're not doing this, you're doing a massive disservice. But as you said, like even if everyone, even if like we're comparing two individuals with the 28 day cycle, still like there's probably going to be like if there's a large difference in the progesterone levels of those two individuals, which is going to be very important how the luteal phase feels is going to be so much different between those two individuals. One might continue to be able to make great progress. The other might have like, Hey, you have terrible PMS. Like, again, as you said, those last seven days before you actually start to bleed are awful. And we might be much more productive just trying to deload here. Like even then I think it's like, is this really better? You know what I mean? Cause then it's again, just kind of like, okay, we're just taking a cookie cutter approach and applying it to the 28 day cycle. So I fully and, agree. And the one issue that I have with that, not only is it like these customized, you know, they, it's not customized, but they try to make it like this one size fits all prescription for all females that are menstruating that you need to psych up your training with your menstrual cycle, but also, so it, it discounts the individual that we're working with, but also there is a nocebo effect. So for instance, there's a lot of coaches that they, all their programming is based for females off this, you know, menstrual cycle periodization. However, a lot of these coaches, if you actually listen to how they describe the the back half of the uh, luteal phase, they're saying about all the symptomology and how it's going to have decrements in training performance and all these negative effects. And really, we what we have to realize, I always say this, but we cannot separate our psychology from our physiology. So if you're constantly being told that your performance should lower in the second half of the of the menstrual cycle you know, what we are told manifests in how we perform, how we act and how we think. So I never want, I often have this conversation with my female clients. Listen, I want you to take it on a case by case basis, but there's going to be months and cycles where, you know, last week of your menstrual cycle is really bad. And then there's some that it's, it's like a walk in the park. It's almost as though you, you didn't realize that you even had your cycle coming up. There's been so many times it's never like, unless I'm working with someone with PMDD where they really do suffer on a, on a monthly basis with their cycle, it's never that their, their menstrual cycle in their last week is exactly the same. So I don't think we should go in with like this mindset that they're automatic are 
performance is automatically going to be degraded or, you know, that we're automatically going to see decrements in our performance and we need to pull back. I really like the auto-regulated approach where I'll have a female that if she's suffering with her, with symptomology from the cycle, you know, she'll check in a little bit more often. We'll pull things back. We'll auto-regulate. We'll keep more reps in reserve. However, I'm never going to tell her and have her have this scarcity mentality where, oh, hey, you're, you should see drop-offs in your performance. Cause I can't predict that I'm a coach. I'm not a magician or I'm not a, um, you know, a mind reader or a future reader or a future teller. So I think we really have to be cautious with what type of information we put out there because there is, you know, just like with supplementation or just like even, you know, I was just having a conversation with a client about uh, sleep data with the aura ring, for instance. And there's research studies where they literally just tell people they'll, they'll, um, put them into different interventions. So they'll take a group and they'll have them all sleep for the same amount of time. They'll have them sleep eight hours. And then half of the group, they'll tell them they slept eight hours and they had a great night of sleep, deep REM, um, and, and all these markers. And then they'll do a cognitive performance test. So, you know, really testing their cognition. And then they'll tell other individuals they got eight hours of sleep. However, they didn't have access to a clock that they got five hours and they had a really poor sleep score. And they'll actually show them like these data analytics from polysonography. So it looks really professional. But what we see in the research is it's not the sleep that they actually got that impacted their performance. It's what they were told. And we see that across all different studies on the placebo effect. And really what that shows is it's not what you actually experience. It's what you're told and what you know manifests in your mind as to what you should experience. If you think it's almost like a, a negative self-fulfilling prophecy. So often with my females, I always want to get across to them. You might see this on social media. That doesn't, A, that doesn't mean that it's suboptimal for you to not do that. And B, don't expect these performance decrements. Go in the gym and try to progress as much as possible. Oftentimes, there's many times that I get a poor night of sleep. And I purposely don't look at my aura data because I know it's going to confound how I'm feeling. I go in there and I, I put my best foot forward and I make, sometimes I had my best training session, despite the fact that I got five hours of sleep. So I don't let those negative, uh, you know, thoughts creep into my head. And I also don't want other people to be influenced in that manner by other people's content. I think that's actually super important too, when it comes to coaching, I have like the nocebo effect. I have a decent amount of people message me like, Hey, I just started my coach two weeks ago, but they're not doing this thing that you said you do with clients. Should I like leave? It's like, no, like talk to your coach about it. Talk through this. But I think there's very much like, uh, I similarly, like, I think it's so easy to, if you follow 10 different coaches on social media, there is going to be like, there are many paths to get to the result that you want. Right. But I think one of the most important things is if you're working with a coach, I'm like, do do your, do your background research, talk to their clients. Um, that's always extremely valuable. And of course, like there's a fine line. If it's like, Hey, I think they're doing something that's detrimental to my health, for example, like, please be careful. But also I do think it's very important to like be bought in. And if you're like 50% following the plan, we're kind of ambivalent, right? We're riding the fence, probably not going to get very far. That's just, that's especially in the last year. That's I'm shocked by the amount of people actually that'll DM me like, and that's, I, I get it. Like this is, if you're a listener, you've done this, like, I don't want you to take this in the wrong way, but I do think it's very much like if you're having these concerns, like talk with your coach about it, but also like I think that it's so easy to always like have shiny object syndrome or almost like, Hey, there's way too many cooks in the kitchen now. And this just isn't really productive. 
Yeah, I was just about to hit on that. I always, I like the mentality because I like the expression chefs, uh, just one chef in the kitchen. You know what I mean? If you're paying someone, follow their plan. And here's the thing. It might not be optimal or it might not be the perfect program for you. It might not be customized for you, but at least run its course. So if you signed up for a month, two, three months, whatever it may be, see if it works for you. Follow their plan to a T to, to actually know so that you don't get out of that coaching relationship and then not know, was it that that didn't work for me or was it that I didn't follow it? And so then you always have that data. I'll tell you, I've worked with many high level coaches and some have been better than others. And there's been certain individuals, but I've been extremely disappointed, but I followed their plan to a T and there there's only been a few instances where I, I knew something was way beyond what I was looking to get out of the coaching. And it was something that I was not interested in doing. And that's where I've, I've, went to them. I haven't went to another coach. I've consulted them privately. I've said, listen, I'm not in agreement with this or how you've programmed this. Or, you know, I had one instance where um, myself and another individual who was coaching with them, we got the same program, everything from diet to training. And and I had a conversation with them. I said, listen, I'm not going to call you out. I didn't even tell the other individual, you know, I just saw what they were doing. They showed me and it's verbatim exactly what I'm doing. We have different goals, different body composition and, and different experience levels. So I, you know, this is just a, you know, a heads up to you first and foremost, that a, you know, if I'm seeing that, luckily I'm not the type of person I I'm a coach myself. I wouldn't, you know, put you out and, you know, and, and get you, you know, call you out. But at the same time, just think about that's not the best approach. You know, you can't have a set and forget approach to everyone. So these are just things you have to keep in mind, but at the same time, you know, don't let the information, you know, utilize the information to the best of your ability, but don't let it make you feel like you're missing out on something. Just give what you're doing a time to either work or not work. And then, you know, for yourself and you can move on and and contact a coach like myself or Jeremiah going forward and try a different approach that you may be more interested in. Couldn't agree more. Cool. Um, Do you have time or do you need to wrap it up here? I got to get it off in two minutes. Okay, cool. We better wrap it up here. Uh, (laughs) Anything you want to plug before we let you go? Yeah, actually just one last thing. So we are coming up on four weeks out from the PEC. So this will be uh, a little less than four weeks out from when this episode goes live. We will be in Tampa, Florida. Uh, We have a a great lineup of presenters. um, And so I would love for anyone to come out. I'm actually giving a giveaway. So if anyone signs up from now until the the next two weeks, so that, that date is the 13th of of um january i'm trying to look at my calendar yeah the 13th of january if you sign up you buy a ticket for the pc that can be uh found on the excellencecartel.com all you have to do is send me proof of purchase through dm or through my email so you guys can find me at brand at brand cruise underscore or at b to cruise fitness at gmail.com i'm going to enter you guys into a giveaway and you will get a one-on-one consultation i'm picking three people that buy tickets within the next two weeks i'm picking three individuals that purchase a ticket within the next two weeks to get a one-on-one Zoom consultation with me to go over anything from your blood work to client questions, to your own programming questions. So it'll be a private consultation. Uh, It's something that it's a service that I do with many people throughout the course of the year, but this is going to be a free giveaway just for those that are supporting um, the conference. And I really look forward to seeing everyone there. Yeah. And as somebody that's paid for quite a few of those with you, say they're super valuable and it is definitely worth the price of the ticket. Um, As always, dude, thank you for being here and we'll catch you guys next time. Absolutely.